0: Hey folks, Nate here. You're listening to Critical Care, a show about games, community, and finding hope in a time of global unrest. This is episode 37, featuring generative game designer Prophet Goddess, creator of No Pointer and the upcoming Anathema. Enjoy.
1: Hi, uh, I'm Cass them uh i make video games under the name prophet goddess uh i'm a game designer and programmer and bad artist uh and musician and i'm really interested in procedural generation and arcade action games and also like emergent and procedural game narrative
0: yeah um and a lot of that is (laughs) specifically what i want to to touch on later on, uh, when I sent your list over, um, kind of, I played several of your games back to back that that all involved procedural generation. Uh, and then as I went back after I'd sent these questions over, I realized that mo- more most of your games, uh, in fact, are kind of based around that a lot more than I realized initially. So I'm very interested to to talk a bit more specifically about uh, generative games, but uh to kind of uh get a bit of a baseline i so you've put out a, a a lot of games so far lots of game jam games some uh some larger ones um but a whole bunch of different interesting sort of experiences and i was curious uh what what led you to start making games how how long have you been been working in this field and what kind of compelled you to to get started
1: So I started being interested in making games in like the early 2010s um, around like the time of like the big indie games boom and I I got into like that stuff because I had a terrible laptop that couldn't really run like big games and I like found out about like the humble indie bundle and it was like oh this is a great way to get like cheap games that will actually run on my computer. And I played and then at around that same time, like after playing, I played like, you know, games like Braid and Super Meat Boy and Castle Crashers and that sort of stuff. Um, And at around the same time, I got really into Minecraft, uh, which was sort of like the introduction to procedural generation for me. And it was also one of the first games that I remember encountering where it was made by like a small team of people who like... I knew who they were, and it confronted me with like the fact that like oh like human beings make games, and that's the thing that I can do. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the guy who made Minecraft is an asshole. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> so it 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 it's sort of uh it's it's weird thinking back on on him being such like a huge influence on me wanting to make games. Now that he's such like a weird like QAnon piece of shit. Uh, but yeah, and around that same time, like I um I got, I played a lot of NetHack. Um, and other sort of, uh, mo- mostly hack, but I played a few other um, traditional RPGs. So around 2012, I think it was, I like built a new computer that could run fancy games and stuff. And I started like fiddling around with tools to make my own games. The earliest games that I made, I made with RPG Maker actually. Mm. Uh, and that was how I discovered that I hate level design. <laughs> which is why i mean it's a huge part of like part of why i do procedure generation stuff is because i love it uh and it's i find it fascinating and i think it's a really cool design space and part of it is that i hate level design i just hate it so much and i hate designing levels and i hate all that stuff so it and i but i like thinking about the problem and working on the problem of like how do you get a computer to make interesting levels like that's something that's interesting to me and i've done it for a long enough now that i'm quite good at it um so yeah, that's that's around. So I made a couple of terrible RPG Maker games uh that never never saw the light of day. And then I discovered Love2D, uh which is a very very great game framework uh for making games in Lua, and I tried to make a sort of traditional roguelike in that. Uh but I had no idea what I was doing. I found I found like the source code for that a while ago and i I like it made me specifically remember what i was doing that made me abandon that project which was like there was some condition i don't remember like all the details but there was basically something that was happening when it wasn't supposed to be happening and in order to solve this i had wrapped like the thing that was supposed to be happening in like 30 if statements all checking the exact same thing (laughs) because i I just got frustrated (laughs) uh which is really funny um Yeah, and then, so around 2014 is when I, I think it was 2014 is when I started releasing games. I did, like, I think it was Ludum Dare 25, uh, which is around, uh, because I, and the thing that allowed me to, like, actually finish a game that I was happy with was Discovering Unity. Um, And I made, like, a little, I believe the theme, I, I remember that game jam very well. I remember the theme was minimalism. It was, like, either 24 or 25. And I remember that weekend because it was also the weekend that my dog died, and I I remember I distinctly remember like dealing with that while also doing Ludum Dare. Um, so I made this like little like minimalist sort of procedurally generated survival game called Deep Freeze, uh, which was about like a little. It's like I don't. It's probably still like the old Ludum Dare site. Um, but yeah, you played as like a little guy, and you walked around, and you gathered food and stuff, and you built fires, and you tried not to freeze to death. And it was it it's it's actually like pretty representative of a lot of my interests even now because it has no win state. Um, it's only only death, and I, <laughs> I've I've made a lot of games like that, and mm-hmm. i I love that in in games that I play. I love when it's not a matter of whether or not you're going to fail it's a matter of how you are going to fail um i didn't play uh i didn't play dwarf fortress until until much later uh like i was aware of it at around that time but i was uh i, I had like tried to play it and couldn't figure it out which is like coming from somebody who played a bunch of net hack is saying something mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but i eventually like only only a few years ago um was it last year i think it was 2019 or 2018 i don't remember what it was but uh jack the keep of friends at the table they did a series of live streams where they played dwarf fortress and explained how to play it and that was actually the thing that finally made me understand how to play dwarf fortress um and dwarf fortress is very much that same sort of thing is like there's no win state in in dwarf fortress you just try there's not even any real goals you just sort of like Fuck around until you are killed, which is also what being a person is like. Yeah,
0: I, I guess that's a <laughs> that's, that's a a way to describe uh, the human condition. Yeah, fuck around um, and die. That's <laughs> pretty pretty
1: succinct. It sums sums it up pretty well. Um. So yeah, so that's why that's how I sort of started making games. Was doing Ludum Dare, and and like Unity was one of those things that came along and allowed me to actually like finish games and like and it was it was a combination of like encountering this like useful tool at the right time and also like at that point having had a bunch of experience like failing to finish things that like helped me understand like why i didn't finish things which was mostly that i had my ideas were too big i think this is a problem for pretty much everybody Mm -hmm. when they start making games which is that your ideas are huge and you want to make all these big complicated things um, and so you scope down, um, or you, you have to scope down, which was like, Ludum Dare was super, super useful. I did a bunch of them. Um, and some of my, some of my more recent Ludum Dare games are on my itch page. Stuff like this must be the place. I, I think was, a, yeah, that was a Ludum Dare game. Uh, Neon Blood 4 was a Ludum Dare game. Yeah. I have my, I have my itch page open so that I remember what games I've made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, and, and so like it's 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 interesting looking back on those early Ludum Dare games and those early games that I made and seeing just how much what I was always what what I still do now and how much my interests were already there, even if they were like I didn't quite know it at the time. But like it 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 I think it says a lot about me that like I looked at. Uh, I was like making deep freeze and I was like, this game doesn't need a win state, you just die. Um and I like you could see a, a sort of updated version of that same concept in This Must Be the Place, which is a game about being stranded on an alien planet. Um and then just you just inevitably die. Like it's just like it's like a you know, a few minutes long and then you just die at the end, always. Which I always I always found interesting.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's a whole whole bunch there to dive into, but I think the Point about no win conditions is really interesting, as like a sort of thread between what otherwise would seem like kind of really disparate games. Like uh, one that I played a fair amount of was No No Pointer, which is a yeah. procedurally generated uh, first-person shooter kind of inside of a computer, and it just kind of goes until uh, until either the die or too many items get on the screen and, and your computer <laughs> crashes, which is honestly kind of thematically uh, delightful in going into this computer and then suddenly my actual computer is just
1: crying because there's 800 <laughs> enemies on the screen that can't figure out what to do. Yeah, that was not an intentional part of Null Pointer, but once I started like play testing it, because I never actually bothered to get that good at Null Pointer. So like I said it so that it was like basically like the game starts to get hard enough for me to pretty much always die before it would like start to destroy your computer. Uh, but then very quickly once I started like sending it to people to, like playtest it, they got way better at it than me and were like, oh, it like slows down the game. And I was like, actually, that's really funny. Uh, so I'll just keep it. Also, I'm, I'm sick of working on this game uh, and, <laughs> and don't and don't I and don't want to it anymore so i'm just going to release it um I, that's how a lot of my games get released is that i'm just like i am so sick of this garbage uh and i will put it into the world for other people to ingest
0: mm-hmm. or i'll just uh, pass in garbage from from one person to the next but... yeah yeah
1: i like i like i like a lot of games with without win states like dwarf fortress or one that i've played a lot is the the crusader kings games crusader kings two and and three which have ends in that they end when the middle ages end but they don't have win states they only have failure states um and i i like them especially in those sorts of like emergent or procedural games because they they allow the designer to put in a bunch of stuff that you, if you have like a sort of like directed sort of win state driven play, everything that you make has to be built around right. the win state. Mm-hmm. Um You know, like everything, like if something doesn't help players get to the win state, they're not going to use it. They're not going to interact with it. But in Crusader Kings, like there's sort of an implicit encouragement for you to like conquer a bunch of territory, but there's certainly no requirement that you do that. Um, and you can absolutely do other things with your time in that game. And so there can be all of these other systems that involve other aspects of, of like, the game and the simulation that don't directly deal with conquest or winning. And, and you can contrast it with something like like Civilization, for instance, where, like, anything in Civilization that doesn't lead to you getting closer to a victory state is not relevant. And so if you're playing... A certain kind of game if you're going for a conquest victory if you're going for a science victory or whatever like focusing on other aspects beyond what is strictly necessary to complete the game or strictly necessary to keep your civilization in good working order is pointless
0: yeah it's such an interesting like contrast to i think the vast majority of games and also just kind of i find myself having to like refocus myself anytime I play a game that's like often procedurally generated but ones that just are not designed to be beat or or won because so much of how games have developed is kind of just further finding more ways to put goals uh, yeah. for players like whether that's like RPG mechanics and everything or like i don't know even like daily check-ins or yeah constant streams of content like stuff like that just has just sort of like warped my brain to be just like struggles when it's presented with something that does not fit into that sort of uh framework which i find really interesting even if it can it's also it's interesting reading like other people trying to come to current terms with these sorts of games and seeing sort of the frustrations they come up against, which they which are often framed as kind of flaws in in game design, but are yeah. kind of more representational of just like a sort of narrowness about what we think games ought to be able ought to do and how they ought to be structured. Yeah. One
1: yeah. thing that particularly drove me crazy with regard one game that drove me crazy with regards to this is No Man's Sky. Mm -hmm. um which is a game that when it came out was like straddling the line between like this weird sort of experimental game where you just sort of walk around and look at stuff and die um and like a much more sort of gamery experience where there's like all these like quests and like stuff to do and checklists and all that stuff and when people played it and decided that it was bad which like i don't particularly like no man's sky but i also don't really hate it either um like they decided that it was bad because it wasn't gamery enough, and there weren't like enough like checklists and things to do. Whereas like I, when I played it, I was frustrated because there were any, there was any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember the thing the thing that drove me crazy about No Man's Sky was when I when I first played it because um, I played it like the day it came out because I was like I was vaguely interested in it, um, and it it had all of these like quests and stuff that it would constantly be telling you to do on the planet that you were on uh, and so it'd be like oh if you go over here there's like a thing to do and then you would go over there and then it would say oh if you go over here there's a thing to do but like the the the, the best part of no man's sky is the like 10 minutes after you land on a planet for the first time and after that the game shouldn't in my opinion encourage you to stay on that planet any longer because the entire planet looks the same you know, it's it's like mm-hmm. every planet sort of has, like, the same sort of, like, theme and vegetation throughout the entire thing. So there's no—so, like, the longer you make me stay on this planet, the more bored I'm going to get because I'm just seeing similar geographical features, similar plants, similar animals over and over and over again. And I I see that a lot in procedurally generated games, is, like, design incentives that don't encourage players to engage with what's actually good about the generator that you've built. Um, mm-hmm you know cuz no cuz like the thing is, is that No Man's Sky is like an am- amazing technical and design achievement if what you do in that game is f- hop from planet to planet and never spend more than like 10 50 minutes on each planet because you see all this and it's it's amazing like all of like the breadth of stuff that they've been able to do and like how different they make all of these planets seem um, until you spend a little more time on every planet and then you realize that not only are is every planet pretty much homogenous all of the planets are basically the same planet slightly reskinned And then you start to notice, you know, more, um, you know, detailed stuff like how the generator can't do rivers and like certain like features that like are immersion breaking when you stare at them for long enough. But it doesn't. But like, if the game were encouraging you to see more different kinds of content, that wouldn't be so much of an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think I remember
0: watching like. The early trailers for that game, and just being kind of awestruck at the art direction and kind of the scale at what it was operating at, and at I don't know at what point it was kind of like shown to be basically like a a survival style game, but yeah. Whenever that sort of like, whenever like resource mining came into the picture, is kind of when I checked out because it felt yeah, it was like you took this beautiful like like huge thing and then turned it into like the most like marketable genre of the time like it felt yeah. like predictable in a very sort of disappointing way uh which is interesting to look back on because it has leaned into that that aspect more and more yeah over the years and people have just come around to saying that they had, it's actually good now, whereas yeah. at this point I I feel like there's basically n- not
1: anything for me. Um, in yeah, it. exactly. Like I I came back to it and the parts of it that I didn't like were the same and the parts of it or, or they had gotten worse. And then the stuff that I about it that I liked was also the same and hadn't been expanded on it anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, like the fact that they decided in that game that a good feature to add would be base building to, like, encourage you to stay in one place is baffling to me. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's, like, because, like, I, I get why you would decide on that, but it's so antithetical to that game's strengths in just about every way possible. Um, it's it's so strange. Um but I, 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 see, I see that a lot. like A I, I thing that I, I do a lot on my Twitter is I, compla- I complain about other people's procedurally generated games because I think a big mistake that people make about procedural generation is thinking that it's cheaper or easier than just making levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's not. Um, it's about the same amount of effort. Um, it's just a different set of problems um, and, and a different set of, of benefits and drawbacks. You know like like the i i tweeted about this a couple of days ago um and and i because i'm just i was i was watching a, a streamer play uh going under which is a very cute sort of charming little game with some like smart satire about like the tech industry and stuff like that mm-hmm. but it just drove me crazy how it had all of this like great writing and like a great art style and all that stuff just sort of stapled onto the binding of isaac Um, like this, this, when people make quote unquote roguelikes these days or these days for the past like decade, ever since the Binding of Isaac came out in 2011, it's been like the sort of default level generator that they go for is, oh, we're going to make a bunch of little prefab rooms and then we're going to stick them together. And then when you walk into the room, you're, the doors are going to lock and you have to kill all the enemies in there. That's how the Binding of Isaac works. That's how the Gungeon works. That's how, um, uh, Hades works. That's how Going Under works. That's how all these games work. And it's so strange to me because it's, to me, it's like evidently the worst parts of procedural generation combined with the worst parts of handmade levels. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's so, because you don't get any, it's also tightly controlled, um, like, a, like a handmade level, but you don't get it. So you don't get anything out of the procedural generation that you get in a game like, for instance, Spelunky, where. Things that the designer didn't necessarily intend to happen start happening all the time because enemies wander out of their intended area or the player carries enemies to different places and stuff can interact in the, all of these sort of interesting ways based on sort of putting things next to each other that you don't know what they're going to be necessarily um, and creating these sort of dynamic challenges. So you get that, but you don't get because the rooms themselves are all like randomly arranged you don't get any sort of sense of flow or direction that you would get out of a really good hand design level um which is is just it's just really frustrating it's a big reason i bounced off of hades um because it just it it didn't do anything for me in terms of of providing me with interesting gameplay it was just you know rooms with guys in them and then you mash the button and then all the guys are dead Um, and then like a hot person tells you you're doing a great job
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I think one of the things that sort of pushed pushed me off a lot of like procedurally generated games is kind of like what you said how a lot of them sort of are there's like three or four kind of Staple like Canon examples of like okay, this is how you make a game with procedural generation, yeah. And like the vast majority of games are kind of pulling from those same examples to a degree that is, I I don't want to say they're just like asset swapping because obviously there's more happening there, but to a lot of extent, it feels like what you're. The, the difference is is in theming and potentially writing and. Sort of aesthetic stuff, whereas where the like sort of foundation is is based on this like established thing that we have have decided yeah. is a way that it works. Like you see that with Binding of Isaac is probably the most uh, yeah. apparent one, but there's also I've played many R- like Spelunky likes that mm. don't really. Understand how Splunky works well. Um, I've played. I feel it. like
1: a lot of the 2D platformer roguelikes that come out are mostly like Rogue Legacy influenced
0: mm-hmm, more than that they are well.
1: influenced, and and then there's the top-down shooters that are Nuclear Throne influenced. And I feel like that's sort of the big three: is The Binding of Isaac, Rogue Legacy, and Nuclear Throne.
0: Yeah, uh, there's there's also been some strange like attempts at racing games, which I don't know that they even have a cannon to draw from, but they all kind of function yeah. the same way, which is a weird, they're, they're pulling from a game that doesn't exist. um and, <laughs> Yeah. And not really solving the same problem, but yeah, the it's, it's kind of treating procedural generation as like, as like a, tool and not like a fundamental
1: design decision. Yeah. Like Or treating it as a shortcut, you know? Like you're Mm -hmm. treating it as like a cheap way to get a bunch of content into your game rather than as something in its own right that is worth exploring. You know, it's it's like you're you're you need so you have your concept, you know, your your you know. You, oh, we're writing a story about Greek mythology and hot people being nice to you, or we're writing a satire about the tech industry. And you need something to staple it to, so mm-hmm. you just pick Enter the Gungeon, you know, and or or The Binding of Isaac, you know. You just you just pick that, and then it's on there, and then you don't have to think about the game design at all. You just have to focus on this other this this the concept that you're actually interested in. And it's like, well, why is there any of that combat, like, why do you feel the need to put combat in your game, even in the first place, if you don't care about it, if you don't care about making the combat and the exploration and all that stuff feel good, just cut it, make a visual novel. People mm-hmm. love those.
0: Yeah, it feels it feels like we're continually having kind of the same sort of discussions that were sort of really starting to crop up, I think, around when, like, stuff like Bioshock was coming out, and yeah. It's like, well, why is this a shooter? And it's like, well, shooters are marketable. And I mean, I don't even know entirely the extent to which having a game look like Binding of Isaac makes that much of a difference in an indie space. Like the optics are so different there that I couldn't even say if that's yeah. if that's uh, a marketing decision so much as the design one. But it does. It's. I don't know we're we're it feels like we're beholden to this this canon and kind of scared of doing the thing that we're actually interested in like it has to yeah. it has to be grafted to something more traditional and more understandable and it's yeah. it's like a reverse of how like I mean I guess this is still the case to some degree, but how a lot of games would just sort of bring in a writer at the end and and staple yeah. a story on. Um and now we're it's kind of the reverse where a lot of games want to yeah. engage with these interesting narratives and do cool like aesthetic stuff and then it's like, well, we gotta put a game in here somewhere. Um
1: Yeah. I there's a really great video essay by Ian Danskin uh in mm-hmm. studio Studios called uh Blood is Compulsory about Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. It's from like twenty fourteen. I think about it all the time. Um mm-hmm. uh, because there's a there's a part in it where he talks about how if you want your game to be about something, you have to hang that something on a shooter because that's what sells. And I like if if and and he's talking specifically about AAA games, you know. And he's you know he brings up like why is, for instance, Bioshock Infinite not an adventure game because that would have made more sense. That's clearly what they were interested in making, but. An adventure game in you know 2010 or whenever that game came out, like that wasn't a time when people were considering making that. And even now, like adventure games are are back, baby. They're good again. Ooh, Ow, wolf howl. But, uh, you know, you you're still not gonna see a triple A adventure game. But even in the indie space, like even though we have all these great examples of visual novels and adventure games that have no combat in them whatsoever, they're just interested in being about what they're. What, what the designers are actually interested in, you know, games like Kentucky Ride Zero, which like there's no combat in Kentucky Ride Zero. It's because the designers aren't uh, so like insecure that like the thing that they're making is un, un, un uninteresting, you know, like they're confident that the story that they're telling is interesting enough to support itself. Um, but a lot of games are still like, OK, well, we are we're doing all this other stuff um you know we have all these interesting ideas but we need to hang it on an action game we need to hang it on something and there's marketing reasons behind that because you know while people like visual novels and people like adventure games they don't sell as well as action games because an action game with a lot of quote-unquote content in it especially supposedly infinite content in it uh makes people feel like they're getting more bang for their buck than if they pay you know 10 15 bucks for a game that takes them two hours to play even if that they'll think about that two-hour game for way longer than they think about, you know, their, a game that they spend 100 hours in, but most of that 100 hours is smashing X in locked rooms and the guys die.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, the initial interest in asking you about this was, um, we've kind of shifted a bit off of, of your games to procedurally generated stuff more broadly, but... I guess of all of these sort of caveats and, and frustrations in mind, what are sort of the types of procedural generation and types of games using procedural generation that you you are interested in either making or just seeing other people sort of do more of? If that's something that even that you could that you can define?
1: Yeah. So I mean, there's there's a few different categories. So one of them is I am still interested in seeing really good like action. Roguelikes, you know, like I've I put five six hundred hours into Splunky HD, and I'm probably going to put even more than that into Splunky two. I stream it every week. Uh, you know, I I really love Splunky. Um, and and I would love to see more games that do that. Like the game that I'm the project that I'm working on right now is is called Anathema. We made it for seven day FPS. There's sort of like a tech demo available on my itch page. Um, and uh and we're we're working on turning that into a full game. We're like we're launching a Kickstarter for it on the fifteenth of this month, hopefully. Uh which is exciting. But that game is is a response to me sort of like meditating on having played both Hades and Crusader Kings 3 at the end of uh 2020 and like sort of thinking about like how how I wish Hades was more like Crusader Kings 3 um Hmm. which is a weird uh, it's like they seem like such different games but i remember when i was playing hades like within like the first hour or two i was like why do all of the gods always like me (laughs) i don't like this is so it's such a strange adaptation of greek mythology because also i had just read uh the odyssey for the first time um and and so it was like very much at the forefront of my mind i I read emily wilson's translation of the odyssey which everybody anybody who's even remotely interested in greek myth should purchase and read because it's great um and so it was at the forefront of my mind that like um greek myth is basically about like gods arguing with each other and then some gods like you and some gods dislike you Mm -hmm. and I was like, man, what if Hades, like, because cause, cause the other thing that Hades does that it, that I hate, I hate it less than the, than the like locked room thing, but it still drives me a tiny bit crazy is, is like the, the sort of like persistent progress thing where like when you die, you get like some resource and you, and Hades has like this weird complicated upgrade system that I didn't like engaging with at all. Um, and it, it was, it was sort of the, the, the worst kind of one of those upgrade systems where, uh like it's like oh you you upgrade this and you get like plus 1% to some attribute and I'm like I don't know what that means mm-hmm. bigger num bigger numbers please <laughs> um but and I, I I just like that I I understand that piece, a lot of people like it for the exact reason that I dislike it which is that it doesn't make me feel like I am learning anything or accomplishing anything it makes me feel like I am being inevitably ushered to my victory mm-hmm. um which is just boring um, you know, but a lot of people like it because it means that, you know, like, like the, the way that people justify it is that like, oh, well, it makes this game more accessible. It allows more people who are not that good at action games like this to finish the game. And I'm like, well, why don't you just make an easy game then? I mean, Hades is already pretty easy. Um, but like, you know, I, I, I'm not so interested in in this sort of like sliding scale like just make it easier man like just make it easy Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you what you want is an easy game if what you want is an easy game that lots of people can beat just make an easy game nobody cares um but I, I, i so i was thinking about that i was thinking about um the 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 idea of like well what if what if it wasn't in Hades that, like, all of the gods like you all the time and they're always willing to help you out? Like, with the exception of that one room in Hades where you can, like, pick between two gods' boons and then the, like, and then the, the gods' boon that you didn't take will, like, get mad at you for, like, five seconds. Um, which is, like, the, the the slightest nod that that game has to, like, the fact that, like, the gods are, like, very capricious and, and selfish and, and just sort of assholes in, in real Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know but like what if what if there were gods that just hated each other and that like um and that like gaining f- and like instead of having this sort of like overcomplicated upgrade system it's just like oh doing nice doing things that a god likes on a run makes them like me more for future runs um and then if another god dislikes that god then they'll like me less because i'm liked by this other god and i'm like oh and so i started thinking about that and how that would that might be interesting because I was thinking about the in Crusader Kings three uh, and Crusader Kings two. There's like this, like the whole game is like revolves around this like uh, like opinion system where um, different all, every single NPC in the game has an opinion from zero to hundred of every other NPC in the game, um, and this affects how they interact. Um, and like what they'll, what they'll allow you to do. So like, you know, if somebody like, you know, on the other side of the world has a negative opinion of you, it doesn't really matter. Um, but if like one of your vassals or like a neighbor has a negative opinion of you, they might want to go to war with you. Or if one of your vassals has a negative opinion of you, they might like, and you want to change some of the laws, they might fight you on that and make it more difficult or make it impossible, you know, or they might, you know, start a faction to like try to install themselves as King and you have to fight a civil war. Um... And there's all sorts of reasons that will lead into people changing opinions of you, ranging from like pretty obvious stuff, like if you're like you know, your vassals might not like you if you tax them too much or if you like are throwing people in prison willy-nilly, you know, <laughs> or like people from near like one thing that happens to me all the time or that it, one short of Crusader Kings 3 game that I really like to play is uh joining a Christian heresy. <laughs> uh, because a lot of the Christian heresies are really cool mm-hmm. uh detour into Catharism, the best Christian heresy, uh, which is uh, it's a it's like a sort of Gnostic adjacent Christian heresy that uh, believes that we are all genderless angel spirits trapped in human bodies, um, and it was sort of popular in like fits and spurts, uh, especially in like the south of France, rather like the year thirteen hundred. There's a really great book called Montaigneux, the Promised Land of Error, which is about uh, the time that the Bishop Jacques Fournier arrested the entire town of Montague, Montague, and it, uh <laughs> and interviewed them about basically like the the 20 years surrounding the year 1300 uh, and provided this like incredibly detailed document of like medieval peasant life. It's a great book. Um, um, so like, you know, one of the things that you can do to Crusader Kings 3 is like you can become a Cathar. And then if you do this, then everybody around you, who's still Catholic will hate you. Uh, and then they'll start waging holy wars against you. Um, and, So I I started thinking about that sort of stuff and like decisions that you make having consequences and like, especially like, like just the, the, the basic concept of like, when you do something or accomplish a goal, it can have both positive and negative consequences. And those negative consequences might be a big deal or they might not be a big deal, depending on how you want to play and depending on how you are playing and depending on other things that are going on and just sort of creating a, a sort of more nuanced, progression, like not even a progression system, but just sort of a more nuanced sort of system for like keeping a persistent world state, because it it does solve a problem that people have with roguelikes, which is that it sucks to die and lose all your progress for a lot of people. I don't care. I've been playing them for a really long time, so I'm used to it. But if you aren't used to it or you just don't like that sort of thing, it can suck to know that when you die, just all your progress is gone. You've accomplished nothing. Um, And... So I, I I do understand why people like these sorts of games and I understand what what they get out of it from like, oh, well, I've, I failed on this, but I got some resources and I'm working towards this goal. So it wasn't all for nothing, you know, because a lot of people like when I when because like the justification for like something like Splunky or NetHack is that like, well, you don't really do nothing when you die. You learned something. You learned something from how you died. But while that's good enough for me, a lot of people, something like that sort of abstract just doesn't feel real enough to get rid of the frustration. Um, so I started thinking, I started thinking a lot about the idea of, um, the idea of that and the idea of, of so so like the, the sort of core thing that we're working on with Anathema is um, that we're creating a bunch of these like different creature types and NPCs uh that sort of like fall into different sort of like factions and groups and the idea is that none of those none of them are like enemies or npcs by default it depends on how you behave towards them if you are nice to people if you're nice to a group of people they'll help you out and they'll show up more often as friendly npcs and eventually they'll stop showing up as enemies at all and if you you know, kill people or steal from people or other or otherwise do things that they don't like, then they'll start showing up more often as enemies, you know, uh, and I, I've seen there are faction systems like this, like, you know, another huge influence is the faction system in Fallout New Vegas, where like, if you do things that Caesar's Legion doesn't like enough, they'll just start sending assassins after you, um, which creates this sense that like, there's like this real living world and like my choices have consequences. Um and and so that that is is a thing that i'm thinking about a lot is is especially like leaning into the ways in which these sorts of procedurally generated games um craft narratives through through their play um like and 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 the, like the way that like and i think the the absolute king of this is dwarf fortress like everybody who plays dwarf fortress has a wild dwarf fortress story Mm-hmm. You know, there's tons of them out there and, you know, anybody who hasn't gone and read the classic something awful Let's Play Boat Murdered uh, should do that. <laughs> uh, it's it's good. Um, it's, it is a very wild Dwarf Fortress story, you know, and, and the thing is, is that while Dwarf Fortress has plenty of, like, text generation in it, you know, there's Legends mode in Dwarf Fortress where you can just, like, literally read through, like, a big list of everything that's ever happened in the world um but most of that is like very simple sort of template driven stuff it's not like complicated like you know narrative generation or anything like that um so what i've come to think is that like it's not about generating when you when you i think a lot of people when they think procedural narrative they think about like oh, we need to generate, like, dialogue or convincing text in some way that, like, looks like a human wrote it. And there are certainly games that are doing that in a really cool way, like Caves of Cud, for instance, um, which is, like, it's all about that sort of, like, just generating weird text and, like, conversations and all that that sort of stuff. And it's doing a really interesting job. But I think what can be a lot more effective and is also a lot uh, less time-consuming, you know, Caves of Cud has been in development for a decade and shows no sign of slowing down, um, is... Focusing on um, create on on creating the sort of basic elements from which stories are told, and having them happen in the game so you see them happening and you experience them. Um, and and at no point is there like text on the screen or anything that tells you what's happening or like tells you a story, but instead just a story happens and then you have an interesting story that you can tell to your friends or just think of that and be like, oh, that was funny when that happened. You know, like that's. That's something that's more interesting to me is is creating characters that have characters and and objects and things that have properties that interact in interesting ways, um, and letting that be the story and letting people then look at that and and see things that are happening. You know, like in Dwarf Fortress, like in Crusader Kings. Um, and then coming away with an interesting story without having really ever to interact with very much text or any text at all. So yeah, that sounds
0: incredibly ambitious and really exciting. Um, And I assume by the time this goes up, the Kickstarter will also be live.
1: Yes, hopefully.
0: uh, I think the... I've been like really fascinated... I mean, ever since I played Past the Logic, basically, um, mm, last year yes. or so, uh, of basically, like, games that kind of hate you or that yes. push back against you. Yes, yes, and yes. This this sounds very much like the idea that you can, that people will have negative relations to you in ways that are more than just, like, they'll be kind of rude to you or something like you get in most sort of binary system type games is, is something that i i we see really rarely in games um probably because people are 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 scared of like cutting off content and and disillusioning players um yeah. but it's i i find it fascinating and i, I mean maybe i'm just a masochist but <laughs> i i i really like when a game kind of confronts me with kind of contextualizes my character as just a person or a character of, of whatever kind and not like this omniscient like puppet master of of the universe uh that, that you often get um so yeah I'm I'm I am fascinated about uh the idea of something like that that is this generative uh i could not conceive of how that might work uh, technically, but I'm also not a, a procedural generous game designer, so I leave that to people like you who actually know what they're doing. Um,
1: yeah, it's it's a lot of what has made me feel confident in doing this from a technical level has been uh, some. So I, I, I'm this project. I'm not using Unity, and I haven't used Unity for a little while um, because I've. I've been working with a friend of mine uh his name is evan hemsley and he he's uh like la area games programmer he's done st- he's worked on like hyper Light drifter and Wander song and a few other mm. games uh he's currently working on samurai gun 2 um and he uh developed this really cool uh game framework called encompass which is like it's an extension to like the this is a little bit technical but it's uh it's an extension to like the the entity component system model of, of game programming. Um and without getting into too much detail about how it works, uh just tweet at me. I'll send you I'll send you links, we can talk about it. Evan's <laughs> always happy to and I'll send you to Evan, he's always happy to talk about it. Um but it's made me feel a lot more confident in building complicated systems, and it's made me feel a lot um like the way that it is structured and the way that it, it encourages you to structure your code and the way that I have been structuring my code mean has led me to be able to um, make more complicated things and be less scared that like when I change something, oh, everything else is going to break, which is like something that I see other game programmers talk about all the time, you know, mm-hmm. especially, you know, you know making unity projects and stuff like that like and it was something that i dealt with all the time when i used unity which is it's like oh i make this like small change and then like a million other things are broken and i've got to like <laughs> shove it around it's like making adding this one feature takes a, a million years mm-hmm. um and if you are listening to this podcast and you think that and you encounter this all the time i am here to tell you it does not have to be this way <laughs> <laughs> it can it can be better Please talk to me on Twitter. I will tell you about how it can be better, um, and and so and so discovering a lot of that stuff and like changing um, and and especially like like, um, and I guess this this we can we can pivot this I guess into one of the other things that you wanted to ask me about, which is is that like one of the other exciting things about this is that like I personally know the person who worked on it. It's open source. Everything that I'm using is open source, so I know how it works. It doesn't contain anything that I don't need, and it allows me to have a lot more of a sort of custom approach to things that is really well suited to the specific project that I'm doing rather than using like something like Unity that was made to be applicable to as many projects as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like this sort of like big black box tool that like it it has a bunch of functionality in it, but all the functionality is generic. And so you often wind up, you know, replacing it or writing your own or modifying it really, really heavily instead of doing the shorter thing, which is just doing it the way that you wanted it in the first place. Um, which can be slightly more technically difficult. Um, but honestly, like having gone down this sort of rabbit hole of making video games without indie again for the first time in, in, in quite a while, it's not as hard as I remember it being. And it's not as hard as I thought it was going to be. Hmm. Um, which has, which has it, it and it, it has, if anything, been a lot easier, or at the very least, it's made me feel a lot more confident when I'm when I'm programming and when I'm designing and when I'm thinking about features, and it's made me able to be a lot more ambitious in my plans.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting to hear about this tool, and then to think back about when we were, just started talking about you getting into games and how Unity was kind of like the tool that let you do that like it finally clicked for you and now you're moving to this other tool that clicks even more so and yeah. kind of It I, I don't do a whole lot of game dev sort of adjacent stuff but I do other creative stuff and I have been really sort of focused on kind of finding small tools to do the specific things I like and not and not sort of Partially because I don't want to give more money than I have to to kind of giant tech conglomerates. Yeah. But uh, the other part is just that I find small tools are often a lot more fun to use. And often, yeah. uh, like, my the thing I use to, to write basically everything is this tiny little markdown editor that, sure, it can't do any of the things that, like, Microsoft Word can do, but it it is, like, Enjoyable just to mess around with, and that makes me write more and that's kind of yeah. half the half the struggle um so yeah finding finding small tools is is always incredibly exciting and and something that it's it's cool that that is becoming more possible as as kind of the barrier to entry is lower, and people yeah. are it's easier to find these tools you don't have to like know someone with a shareware disk um but uh. Yeah, I wanted to talk more about open source software, but we are running a bit up on time, so I'll say I'll save that for for another another day. Uh it's a topic I have lots of ideas about um and questions to ask. Uh but until then, uh where can people uh find you and your work on the internet? Where be places you'd like to point
1: them? Uh, well you can find my video games at profitgoddess.itch.io. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at profit underscore goddess. You can find me on Mastodon at profit underscore goddess at skeleton dot cool. <laughs> uh, so happy I own that domain name. Um, yeah, I stream quite frequently on twi- at Twitch TV slash profit underscore goddess, and then increasingly often at Trash Cloud, which is a like open source self hosted. Uh, streaming platform that I'm working on with a few friends of mine. Um called it's it runs a software called Dios, but the, the our specific instance of it is called trash.cloud. Uh I also do a podcast if you're interested in podcasts. It's about anime. It's called anime is for jerks and you can find it at anime dot <laughs> uh, And I think that's about it.
0: Just incredible domain names all <laughs> around. Uh, very good. Uh what is since this is almost certainly gonna go up after it's live, um what what was the name of your game again if people want to find it onto Kickstarter?
1: The game is called Anathema. Uh and yeah, if you go to my Twitter, but if this has come up after the Kickstarter is live, and it probably will, uh if you go to my Twitter, it will be linked there, it'll be in my pin tweet, it'll pro- might be in my display name, probably be in my bio, it'll be everywhere. So uh, awesome. just head there and you will find it
0: i'm I'm very intrigued to to check that out more and excited to see how the Kickstarter does yeah, uh all right. so uh to close out these episodes, I've been asking every guest to kind of share something that they found inspiring or hopeful or just a cool thing that they enjoyed um, whether that's like the weather's nice today or something cool they listen to or or what have you um so, if you have something you would like to share to kind of end this episode out,
1: yeah, I saw this question and I've been thinking about it a bunch. Let's see, I'll, I'll share. I'll share an album that I've been listening to a lot recently. Uh, that that just excites me because it's so good and because it's so <laughs> it's so cool. Um, and it's it's such a cool thing. It is uh, is the album "Live Forever" by Bartiz Strange, which is this. It's a just incredible just like fusion of like indie rock and like emo and then like hip-hop and jazz and stuff and it's got just some of the most adventurous like genre blending sounds and not in not in the same sort of like kind of semi-tongue-in-cheek way that you see in like a lot of like hyper pop stuff like like 100 gex which i do i do love 100 gex but it's in a much in a much more like earnest way which is weird to say because 100 gex are pretty earnest um but mm-hmm. but yeah it's, it's just it's it's an exciting album to listen to it, it 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 has it has filled me with a lot of joy listening listening to it and and being just excited about what it represents and like a lot of the the, the sounds that it has and just it's a good album it's good
0: wow that sounds rad as heck and i i i can't even begin to imagine what what a uh, a jazz emo hip hop album could sound like, so I'm I'm definitely gonna have to listen to that after after I get off this call. Um, l- music has been kind of like my I've I've honestly been playing very few video games for for some while now. Uh, ironically given uh, this show, uh, and music's kind of taken up a huge portion of that time. So I'm yeah. always fascinated by by more more weird stuff
1: that's out there because yeah i thought i listened to a lot of music in 2020 and then i actually like started to like look at like my spotify and and all that stuff and see like i was like oh crap i actually listened to a ton of new music um not just from 2020 but just like stuff from before uh that from like you know 20 30 years ago that i never listened to you know i got really Mm -hmm. into duster last year which was fun um and now now i'm like i (laughs) I, I I recommended I recommended live forever because I've I've been listening to it a lot. But like for the past like week, I've just been listening to Prince. I've just been listening to a lot of Prince. Uh, yeah, so that was, that and, my my other recommendation is just listen to Prince. Uh, I mean, it's it's, like it's, the best
0: music. You you, it's an eternal recommendation. Like <laughs> I I I don't know how you you don't just immediately love Prince. Um. I'm sure yeah, that person is, exists but they're wrong. Um
1: yeah. there is something in Prince for everybody.
0: Yeah, it's it's just I'm constantly finding new stuff every time I listen to to his work. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh thank you so much for coming on um for reminding me to listen to Prince cuz I'm going to do that <laughs> now as well. Uh <laughs> and for for talking about all of this fascinating uh procedural generation stuff. It's it's very much in line of kind of stuff I'm interested in seeing more in games. And it's cool to see people thinking about them in, in really dense ways that give me a lot of stuff to think about. So yeah, thanks for coming on. I'm looking forward to your Kickstarter.
1: Thank you.
0: Critical Care is produced by me, Nate Kiernan, with music by Desired. You can find Desired on Bandcamp at desired.bandcamp.com. I'm on Twitter at Nate Kiernan, and you can keep up with everything Critical related at critical.com. If you like the show, maybe share it with a loved one, and consider supporting me at critical.com Patreon. Until next time, stay safe, stay home, and remember, this is not game over. We're still fighting and we're gonna get through this.